Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name is Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Hey, everybody. We met a friend on the internet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're joined by someone else today, too. It's Pam D from Cannot Be Tamed. How's it going, Pam? Hey, it's going pretty good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you yes. so much for coming on the show. Um, you are probably familiar with Pam through her YouTube channel, Cannot Be Tamed. Does all sorts of cool videos, mostly on retro games. Mm-hmm. And Pam, I don't know, you can tell me if this is like fair or not, but I kind of view you as like an expert on like older PC games. Yeah, I, I play a lot of older PC games. That was sort of what I played all through my gaming history, even though I have tended to do a little more console than PC on the channel. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I kind of feel like it's appropriate because today we're talking about a game that really, really wants to be a 90s PC adventure game. (laughs) It's the Cat Lady. Yes, it is actually the prequel to uh, Netflix's breakout hit, um, The uh, Tiger King. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. But before we get too deep into it, as always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out how you can support the show. Also, we're a game club. We usually tell you what games we're going to play next. We'll see if that happens today. I don't know. It's in God's hands. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) And as always, you can jump on our Discord and talk to us about whatever, but especially games, because video games are fun. Hey, Pam has a Patreon, too, so you can throw throw a buck in that bucket, too. Yes. Cannot be tamed on Patreon. Support artists. Support your content creators, because they're probably making more shit right now. But they're not getting paid anymore unless you pay them more. YouTube will get us through this dark time. <laughs> I don't know, Pam. How do you feel about YouTube? It seems like everyone who does YouTube videos hates YouTube. The platform? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it can't. It, it's a mixed bag. I have been lucky enough not to have to deal with too much like strikes or anything like that or demonetization Mm. but you know the comments can be kind of garbage and uh Mm. you know it's a big corporation that doesn't care about me yeah that (laughs) makes more money off me than i make off it so yeah goddamn totally no i i yeah i get that 100 percent. that's basically like every platform i think people get frustrated with youtube it seems because it's like less obvious it seems like all the stuff that's going on is hidden whereas Mm. like something like facebook it's super obvious it's like they won't show the shit you post if you're a band page or a you know content page or whatever unless you pay to have them deliver it but on youtube it's kind of like weird and hidden and you're always trying to like figure out and game the system but it's kind of impossible yeah it's really difficult if you protest and don't put yourself on YouTube, you're not going to find an audience anywhere else. So you're kind of like stuck with that monopoly. You know, even though there are alternatives, the alternatives really aren't very viable. Yeah, totally. So, um, Don't get me started on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, musicians, it's just, uh, yeah, it's all horrible. Forget um, it. Yeah, like I, I was running the YouTube channel for a company for a little while that like makes products to sell to people and that was kind Mm. of interesting because we didn't have to worry too much about youtube algorithm and all that type of shit because it was all just for direct marketing but Mm. it was still weird like getting strikes and getting demonetized for like weird random reasons because i would record covers of like 
songs that people know and like mm. especially recently they really ramped up the software for that so that shit is just crazy like i recorded a cover of a pixie song that wasn't even in the same key and then it was like oh this is wave of mutilation you now owe whatever geffen records money for this video or some shit was, jesus yeah so today we are talking about the cat lady it is yes 2012 release by harvester games very aptly named company that's got to be a throwback to the old pc game harvester right there's just too many similarities for me to ignore yeah it's got it's got you know the sort of um pseudo realistic graphics and uh real edgy kind of style and uh content um that the cat lady is just filled with you know I was reading an article with the creator, and he was saying that him and his brother, who does the music for the game, uh, had a band when they were in high school called Harvester. Oh, and, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's definitely like my first take on this game when I heard about it or just started looking at it was like, this is a throwback to edgy 90s PC adventure games. You know, Darkseed, <laughs> Harvester, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream like phantasmagoria maybe waxworks yeah yeah totally yeah. and it's it's definitely a throwback to that but it's in a slightly more modern style it's not a point and click game it's like a side scrolling adventure game mm-hmm. in the style of games that we've covered like uh, detention um or some games we haven't covered like night in the woods and oxen free um yeah sort of um, it's it's got a bit of a different viewpoint. It seems a lot more zoomed in. Like the characters are generally pretty like huge on screen. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a cool, unique look, honestly. It looks um, like a TurboGrafx 16 game. <laughs> China Warrior for <laughs> TurboGrafx 16. Yeah. It's totally like Oxen Free meets China Warrior. There, done. Review over. <laughs> meets meets Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> meets Tiger King. <laughs> Yeah. Just like in general, I feel like this game is at sort of a mixed bag in like every facet. Mm-hmm. I feel like the visuals are a mixed bag. Some things are beautiful and some things are really garish. I think the tone of the game is a mixed bag. You know, there there's a lot of character building and world building, but then there's, you know, there's like scenes that are just made to shock the shit out of you. Yeah. And then, you know, the music is a mixed bag. Sometimes it's really tasteful and subtle. And then other times it sounds like Linkin Park. So <laughs> it's just all over the place. Yeah. No, in my notes, I have it as tonal whiplash, the game. Like, <laughs> it just swings back and forth between parts that are like a quiet character study. And then it's suddenly mm-hmm. like Hobo with a shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, everything in the game is is like that. So, had either of you guys played this game before? I played it a few years ago. Yeah, and I played the previous first uh, game in the trilogy, Downfall. Okay. Yeah, I had no experience with this game at all. So, playing it for the show was my first experience. And you know, just like I said, it's it's a mixed bag to me. I have, I have super polarized feelings about this game like i really like certain parts and then other parts i think are just like totally 
inappropriate almost, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, well, James and I have talked about this a lot on the show, but both of us kind of did the same thing, which is that we took like most of our twenties off of playing video games. And like, mm. so when I started getting back into games, I was just looking for weird, like horror games. And especially mm. if they were something like really niche and unique. So when I saw this game and I saw that it looked like edgy 90s PC adventure games, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I gotta play this. And so when I played it the first time, I I don't really know how I felt. Like, I agree with you, James. I felt really polarized. And I was mostly just like, I guess I'm just glad that this game exists because it's like such a weird niche thing. But mm-hmm. playing it again, I I felt like more strongly the polarizing views like there's certain things about the game that i like even more now playing again and there's certain things about the game that i'm like how did i even like finish this game like why did i even let this fucking slide you know what i mean yeah yeah how did how did you feel when you originally played it pam like a few years ago i really liked it when i first played it a few years ago um i really liked the aesthetic of it um i tend to like games or movies or any kind of horror that like gets really gory for no reason. Like Event Horizon is one of my favorite um, horror movies. But I, yeah. I liked the combination of like, it's all very like gory and dark, but at the same time has, kind of has like a positive message to it overall. And then that sort of combined with just like the female vengeance angle of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sort of does have kind of like a buddy movie vibe in between all the like existential horror. Um, there are certain like long scenes where it's just um, the two protagonist characters just sort of like talking about their lives. And I think those areas or those sections of the game are like super endearing. But then it's just bookended with this just like ultra violent like gore and like revenge story. So yeah, it's 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 just a really interesting like dichotomy of things going on. Yeah, and like I said, I felt that a lot more this time. I think I maybe mm. liked it a little bit more the first time I played it because I, I, I don't know. But when I played it now, is like I really liked the buddy stuff. I like the <laughs> character building, like chill slice of life stuff, and yeah. the more like actiony, yeah, revengey, like Kill Bill stuff. I liked Mm -hmm. less, but I I don't know if it's like in and of itself or if it's just that I think the writing is better in those parts. Um, Maybe. Because the writing, like we're talking about, like a lot of the other things this game is like all over the place. And totally. I think it's, it's really, really good during some of those character building parts. Like some of the stuff that the main character says about depression and being depressed is like Mm. really good and like good writing. And then like, some of the more like actiony parts have some like real clunkers, like Schwarzenegger lines. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it also has to do with the voice acting too, mm-hmm. and the voice acting can be very lopsided. Yeah. Let's and, let's talk about just the the aesthetic, the aesthetics, and the presentation of this game as a whole sure. for a second um, before we get too out in the weeds here, because I feel like that's another big draw of this game, like. People who start playing this game, I think, by and large, are going to come to it because of the aesthetics and the presentation, but it's also, like, Mm. sort of a handicap on the game at times. Well, so, the aesthetics are kind of, like, um, 
It, it's two different aesthetics to me. The character models are this like gorgeous kind of monochromatic, pixelated portrait style. It's realistic, but they move kind of like marionettes. They always take up a ton of screen real estate. Um, I really like the way the characters look in this game. But in contrast, the backgrounds sort of have that like mid-2000s Photoshop look. I, I wrote in my notes that it kind of looks like a, capital, uh, a cattle decapitation album cover. Um, <laughs> sure. Things like uh, background animations, like um, curtains billowing in the wind. It just looks really weird and artificial and photoshoppy to me. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of a mixed bag, again. I actually, like, totally disagree with that, which is funny. I saw that in the notes. I kind of <laughs> felt the opposite. Like, So the backgrounds are super weird and psychedelic. They often have these, like, mm-hmm. crazy splashes of color. Um, the animation is sort of stiff, but it looks purposeful. Um, it mm. makes it look more like a looping FMV background or like a very, like, uh, like a looping GIF background, something like you'd see in an old adventure game. Um, yeah, I could see that. I thought it was really cool. And especially during the parts that are supposed to be more psychedelic or impressionistic, um, the backgrounds were really great. Uh, mm. I think the character models, I like the idea of it. I like that they move like marionettes and they kind of have this weird hand-drawn look to them, but... I, I feel like they're almost a little too rough. Like, they're kind of trying to do the ugly on purpose look, but mm. I I wish that the, the characters had just had a little bit more, like, design put into them. Some of them just kind of look like lumps. And I was like, oh, this <laughs> lump man. I'm, I'm angry at lump man. <laughs> it's very striking, though. The overall look is super striking. It's dark, mm. um, and, and it's very, like, high contrasty, and it looks cool. Uh, the whole marionette thing reminds me of a Sega Genesis game called Ernest Evans. Are you familiar with that? No. It's a total it's a total mess of a game, but um the the main character is animated like that, where like the arms and legs are all separate sprites and he runs around like a marionette. Generally it looks like shit, and I think this game does it a lot better. <laughs> but uh I just couldn't get away from that uh visual reference there. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked the backgrounds and the color choices, especially. I feel like when you first look at it or if you see some screenshots, um, you know, on Steam or whatever, it looks like it's just doing the black and white with splashes of red look, which is, you know, a little overdone. But it actually, I think, uses color really well. And like sometimes when things get colorful, like things will turn like this sort of sickly, greeny gold color. And that's usually when things are about to get like ultra fucked up and yeah. i like how they've <laughs> used color um a little more interestingly than just the red pops yeah that's a good point point. uh also i think they they use color in terms of um trying to like do more like pastoral calm views mm-hmm. like the right at the beginning of the game there's a um, pretty striking visual of like of the main character standing in a like a cornfield or wheat field. And it's just like a really gorgeous moment in the game before it starts getting disgusting. Yeah, totally. And also like there's a there's sort of an other world in the game. Um it's mm-hmm. very dreamlike and it's supposed to be in a different reality from the reality of the game. And that yeah. uh other world always has these it's yeah it's kind of like pastel like dark pastel colors that are all swirled together like orange and blue 
Um, mm. It's really, really cool. Uh, just to sort of change the frame of reference for a second and give you something else to look at. Um, yeah, I, I definitely like the backgrounds and, and the sort of environment and atmosphere more than I I like the the character like style and animation. I think this style was done better in the game Detention. I know you don't agree with that, James, but... <laughs> well, um, going going a little bit more on the backgrounds, it looks like they took a lot of like photography references and used the photographs in the backgrounds and then did digital painting on top of them. So a lot of it is, it does really give you that kind of like Lisa Frank look of things being like patched together. Sometimes it's more successful. Sometimes it's less. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely has that like digital photography meets like throwing it in Photoshop look just constantly. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a Cure album cover, which is like... It looks like a No Limit Records album cover. <laughs> okay, no, that I <laughs> I disagree with. I think it, it looks like a Cure album cover, which for some people is great, and some people are like, that sucks. But like, <laughs> obviously, like, I love the Cure. So it's like, whatever, you know. Yeah. Oh, this is definitely like an eyeliner game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this game wears a lot of eyeliner, yeah. I'm 90% sure if you have like black fingernail polish on right now, you're going to love this game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's like, it is a big selling point in this game. I think it's got these super dark nineties goth aesthetics. Like, I mean, even just zooming out for a second, not talking specifically about, you know, visual reference or graphic style. It's like, it looks like it's heavily influenced by like Sandman and the mm. crow and the cure and like all this kind of just like classic goth kid shit and <laughs> it's also got this soundtrack that like sounds like late 90s early 2000s like goth bands who are kind of going new metal you know mm. and like yeah. it's gonna sell you on it like i love that shit that's like that's my life <laughs> man that's the story of my <laughs> life dude so it's like obviously it's just like I love it um, and I think that's a, a big part of the appeal of this game is it's got that classic goth like 90s mm-hmm. late 80s early 90s goth kind of aesthetic I think the aesthetic really tries to portray the protagonist's mindset right like she's like creating these dream or nightmare vistas through her depression and I think visually it it kind of nails that. I don't know if I would recommend playing this game if you're super depressed. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not, because it's pretty grim. Yeah, I don't know. I usually say that about, like, Soma, because <laughs> Soma is a game that's, like, entirely without any kind of hope. Um <laughs> <laughs> and even though it's like one of my favorite games i've told multiple people i know it's like this game is great but like don't play it if you're really depressed because like it's really dark i don't know this game mm-hmm. it is really dark but it does actually have a lot of hope or or like pam was saying earlier it kind of has like a positive message to it mm-hmm. um which i think is also kind of one of the saving graces of the game like it gets so into the like edgelordy darkness shit that like if it didn't have that kind of positive message undergirding the story, it m- would be a little bit tough to swallow, you know? Sounds like you got the good ending. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, the first time I played it, I think I got the like okay ending. And then mm. this time, since I was playing it again, I was like, I'll look up how you get the good ending. And then I got the good ending, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I got the uh, nihilistic ending. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. So maybe you had the full Soma experience. I don't know. So just to talk a little bit more about the presentation, I mean, it, it's worth talking about the sound in this game briefly, because like mm. to totally like wrap up the whole like, you know, 90s goth thing, it's got, of course, like we mentioned, a really bizarre soundtrack that spans from like chill ambient music to like straight up new metal. And like, <laughs> it's kind of amazing and sometimes kind of distracting. Uh, yeah, well... I didn't listen to the soundtrack on its own. Um, I did see, though, that, uh, Pam, in one of your more recent pickup videos, you did pick up the soundtrack on vinyl. Have you, have you, have you listened to it just, like, as an active listener and just, like, played through the soundtrack? Yeah, I have. It's, it's an odd soundtrack. So the vinyl's just, like, the OST. It doesn't include any of the licensed music which kind of was mm. a little disappointing but yeah it's an odd soundtrack because like there is a lot of sort of ambient stuff and some like grungy gothy sounding stuff um i tend to like the stuff that's more in the background of the more surreal horror segments mm -hmm. but also yeah. like the first track in the game when she's in that field it's like this weird disorienting jazz soundtrack like i'm not a <laughs> a musically knowledgeable person but it's like really off-putting and like there's no rhyme or reason to why all the notes are being put together the way they are mm. and i think it's kind of cool for the beginning of the game since you think she's dead but you're not sure if she's actually dead and the music is just like bouncing all over the place and makes everything more confusing yeah yeah Th that jazziness does have a little bit of a twin peaks like fire walk with me vibe i think which I think was kind of what they were going for. Um, I, yeah, th that brings me back to that, and I, I did kind of enjoy that like little bit of jazziness, even though it did seem kind of out of place, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's some other tracks, too, that have that classic 90s adventure game feel where it's like, I don't know why this was made. Like it'll just be like random <laughs> weird percussion and like synth pads on top of it, and mm. I don't know. It, I I like it overall. I think like one thing that can be said for this game, in my opinion, is that it's kind of the roughness and the weirdness of a lot of the presentation and the game itself is charming because it feels um, sincere. Mm. Like it feels like this is the game that they could make and that they wanted to make. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot, like sincerity a lot, since we've been covering a lot of these like PS1 throwback games. And yeah. I have a big trust problem with those games. <laughs> I don't trust the creators to be like sincere. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I always feel like they're almost like making fun of me for liking PS1 games. Some of that stuff does seem purposeful. It almost made me wonder, because I found most of the voice acting was really good, but the audio recording quality was shit and yeah. that made me wonder like was this on purpose like i don't think it was on purpose but maybe <laughs> no yeah stuff like that is exactly what i'm talking about where it's like yeah pretty much all the performances bar a couple are actually very good but they sound like they're recorded with shitty usb mics yeah yeah especially one of the male voice actors it was like really out of place 
And everything was recorded at too high a volume, so it was like... Yeah, peaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just not mixed. So like some of the conversations, like I think it's one of the early chapters where the main character is talking to that nurse, Liz. Yeah. And it's like the main character's voice is like booming loud. And then Liz comes in and it's like a whisper. <laughs> so mm. yeah, it's stuff like that where it's like, this is clearly sincere because this is just the developer's friends where they're like, oh, I know this person who can do this character probably, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's also like, there's the one character who's like the mom who you have to convince that uh, Mitzi's a nanny that sounds like oh, yeah. she's just reading the lines as fast as she can off of a piece of paper <laughs> in front of her. And it's like, yeah, so stuff like that is actually charming. I think the, the the roughness overall in this game, it didn't bug me or it didn't put me off of the game. Mm. Well, I think at worst, it's reminiscent of like a Flash game. And at its best, it kind of like transcends. It's sort of um, the confines of an indie game and becomes really endearing, you know? Yeah, it's super... Uh, um, like aspirational. Sure. Like it's really yeah. shooting to be this big epic game, and they actually did it. Like it succeeds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah. it's funny that you bring up flash games because I think that's like another big touch point for this game is that it feels like something that you would have played on Newgrounds, but like super beefed up. Yes. So <laughs> if you and your friends ever sat around like. Uh, cruising new grounds to check out weird new games while listening to like The Cure on a CD boombox like you have to play this game this game is like for you I am that person so that's why I know that new grounds meets deviant art meets shadow of the beast (laughs) yeah exactly so it's it's just got those vibes man all right so you want to talk about the gameplay a little bit like how it actually works sure uh, so the game split up into uh, essentially seven chapters, and it's it's got some classic PC adventure game puzzles, you know, item-based stuff. Pick up an item that m- might seem kind of nonsensical and use it in a nonsensical way later on. But since it is split up into seven chapters, um, each one of those chapters is kind of like its own thing, so items don't you know, roll over into the next chapter and things. It it makes solving the puzzles a lot easier than something like a Sierra game mm-hmm. because there's so much less confusion when it comes to, you know, the finite number of items you can pick up in one area. Um, you really only use the arrow keys, escape, and enter. And there's no built-in controller support. I had to use X-Patter again to get it working. But once I used X-Patter, it was completely fine, so... I just plugged in an Xbox One controller and it worked. Really? Yeah, dude. <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> it might use a DualShock though, right? No, I was using the Xbox One controller. Oh, weird. So yeah, I don't know, I must man. have missed something. Yeah, mine just yeah. worked. I like this setup. I think it makes uh, this type of event- adventure game very like easy to play and accessible to a modern player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself here, and I know like neither you probably agree with me on this but like i find some of those older adventure games kind of hard to go back to um just like from a control standpoint or just like the interface standpoint so i like the modern games like the ones i mentioned like this or detention because it makes it feel almost more like a platformer or something that's just easy to pick up and play sure 
Well, I feel like with classic PC adventure games, um, that obtuseness is part of the charm. And, you know, a lot of modern gamers will just find it sort of like unplayable. So, yeah, your mileage may vary with that. And it sounds like Ollie's on the other side of that fence. Yeah. I found the control scheme was so simple that I occasionally, like, my brain would just try to complicate it, especially when I first started playing. It was just, like, just up and down to go between looking at things and looking at inventory, and I would just, like, screw up all the time and be Mm. trying to look at things when I'm actually in my inventory. And uh, But it's, like, it is an actually very simple control scheme, just if you're used to something a little more... um, complex or uh, you know something that has more verbs it's it's a little <laughs> it takes a little getting used to yeah no and for sure pressing down to go to your inventory is just weird mm-hmm. yeah like i didn't love that who does that yeah <laughs> i totally agree and i think especially like um this james this is something you put in the notes i mean a lot of this game is just dialogue yeah and so i think the this game sort of lulling your brain into shutting off is kind of a it's a it's kind of a problem in the game because <laughs> mm. you'll just be sitting there like reading dialogue and pressing enter or a or whatever for a really long time and at some point you're like wait what am i doing <laughs> yeah yeah well okay so one thing that killed me in this game is that there's no auto saving and if you forget to save you're just like fucked uh, I ruined like 45 minutes of a day because I didn't save, shut it oh, off, no. and came back the next day. I was two chapters behind. Oh, and uh. because the dialogue is unskippable, um, there's no fast forward or anything. Uh, yeah, I had to sit through like long ass conversations for a second time. And it was essentially just like me holding my Xbox controller, it going to sleep while I'm like scrolling through Facebook <laughs> on my phone, waiting for these conversations to end. <laughs> um, pretty brutal and uh, not a very friendly gameplay experience. Yeah. It could at least autosave at the beginning of each chapter. Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, I don't know if they patched it out, but the first time I played this game, there was a game breaking bug in the mm. second to last chapter uh, that you just sort of had a random chance to encounter. Uh, and I did. And because of what you're describing where the only alt save I had was like two chapters back. I had to replay um, a lot of the game and yeah. So I've probably actually played this game now like 2.3 times or something because <laughs> of that. So yeah, I mean it, this game, not just in the presentation, but also the mechanics it's a, it's rough around the edges. Like definitely auto saving would have been a boon you know, some certain just like quality of life things would have been really nice. But the one thing I will say is that like with the, the way the dialogue and the conversations flow and everything and the game speed being slow, I do feel like it's really deliberate and it sets a certain Mm. pace and tone um, that really defines the game. And that by the end of the game, or probably like halfway through, I found myself really into the pace of it and really enjoying that actually. Yeah. Well, one thing um, that the game tries to instill early lo- early on is like a sense of like tension and dread. But um, the jump scares are a bit hokey and out of place. And once you find out that you can't really die, the sense of tension is sort of taken away. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't really view this game as that sort of horror game, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny that you even talk about it in those terms, because I was like, wait, what were the jump scares <laughs> like? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's more the horror in this game, like in an old PC adventure game, it's in the imagery. Um, mm. I guess it's another reason that, or another thing that helps me understand why the imagery in this game is like so graphic. And it's like, Oh yeah, because it's harking back to a time and it's in a style where like you can't have something jump out and scare the player because it's the the speed of it, right? The game speed is very mm-hmm. slow. So you just have to show them something. And that's why I think the game like lingers on stuff a lot. Like there's an early scene where the protagonist gets her arm cut off and she's just like <laughs> yes. running around waving her arm and blood is flying everywhere. And it's like kind of cartoonish but something about it is also like really upsetting and it just goes on for so long and you're like <laughs> oh yeah this is like this is this game style of horror because of the style of game you know it was that moment was so funny because before that it's like a slow paced slow build kind of like atmospheric tension and you get to this puzzle and you stick your arm in the wall and then just all of a sudden she's just like gushing blood everywhere while new metals blasting <laughs> in the background and like the credits start rolling right yeah. like that's the that's the opening credits to the fucking game and it's just like throw a bucket of ice water on you <laughs> throw a bucket of fake blood on you yeah i really like that opening i also really like that song that plays it's very nine inch nailsy so it yeah has me but yeah, I really liked the opening. I did find that there were too many jump scares at the beginning as well. Um, a lot of like audio jump scares, which I just thought weren't really needed considering how most of the horror in the game is done. Yeah, totally. Um, there's a scene where you're uh, stuck in a house and um, you think you can get just like caught at any, at, at any moment. It's sort of like a maniac mansion moment where you're afraid you're going to get caught. Um, but you can hear footsteps in the background the whole time. And it never really comes to anything because you realize that the footsteps are just part of the audio mix. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's no scissor, scissor man stalking you or anything. It's a different style of horror, you know? And it's it's kind of sometimes it's effective and sometimes it's not very effective. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that opening is really cool. And I felt like after that, some of the stuff we're talking about just, it just is not as effective because you've kind of like already seen that. Um, and it, start, it started, for me, it started to feel a bit gratuitous. I guess that's something I want to talk about later because I think like that's sort of a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely like shares some DNA with that like mid 2000s gore flick explosion, right? Yeah. You know, like. Saw and Hostel and all those films that were super popular in the mid to late 2000s. Um, yeah. There's definite influence there. Well, and it definitely reminds me, the look of the game is very comic booky, but it also likes to set up these very like um, staged shots of gore. That yeah. reminded me a lot of, you know, something like The Crow, but also something like the manga MPD Psycho. Um which later I felt like had an influence on the TV show Hannibal. Um, oh, interesting. You know, I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't have some confirmation of that, but the little bit of Hannibal I've watched, I was like, this reminds me of MPD Psycho. Cause it's like huh. a killer who stages his victims in this really like 
artistic and like crazy way um yeah no now that you say that i can totally see that yeah you you read mpd psycho right james no, but I watched Hannibal. Oh, right. <laughs> and I played this game. <laughs> I told you to read MPD Psycho, and then you went and read a bunch of other weird horror manga. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to it. Yeah. Well, I still haven't played Hitman, so it's like, it's chill. <laughs> um, One of these days. But yeah, it's like, uh, it it does that, you know, that kind of visual style. Um, and it's it's striking initially, and over time, you kind of it does start to sort of lose its bite a little bit. Yeah. Well, do we want to... We've been tiptoeing around it the whole time. Do we want to crack into this narrative a little bit? Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to do a play-by-play of everything that happens in the game. No. But at least, you know, there's seven chapters. We can talk a little bit about what happens in each one of these chapters and talk about what works and what doesn't for us. Right. Know? For sure. Um, so the main character is a woman named Susan. Um, the prologue starts with a um, monologue by her talking about how she's pretty hopeless, depressed, and how she just swallowed 34 pills. And that's how the game starts. And you're just like, wow, holy shit, that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it like literally opens with her suicide note and that's it. Yeah. Um, basically said thanks for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, the screen fades in, and you see Susan in a field of wheat, and um, that's kind of how the game starts. It's kind of a, a bit of a cold open, and it's it, it starts in a really visually striking way. I think it's pretty gorgeous. There, like, there's kind of sunset colors, and you can walk in either direction, and it's a bit open-ended. It reminded me of the beginning of Shadow of the Beast for Sega Genesis, just because I'm a Sega nerd. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the open-endedness at the beginning is pretty cool, even though the puzzles are simple. In this weird, like, afterlife-ish world, um, she finds, like, the shack with a bunch of, like, crazy machinery. There's a, uh, a mansion with this creepy lady in it. And, um, you find an ambulance with, like, her own corpse in it so she's like looking at her own dead body which is a recurring motif in the game mm-hmm. there's kind of like a dirty abandoned trailer park looking thing going on um it's so it's like a mix of like pretty and ugly hell world ish stuff yeah pretty interesting this part is awesome this is actually i think one of the best design parts of the game because it's got like just some simple traversal puzzles to try and get you through yeah. this area and they're really weird and psychedelic. Uh, you mm-hmm. kind of end up following this bird back and forth through these screens to progress. And then you end up going through a, a door that you found locked, you know, just before um, it's got this weird jazz music playing. Like we talked about earlier. <laughs> uh, I, I really like this section and I sort of, I guess like my take on this game playing it again was that I thought that the, supernatural stuff in this game is awesome like anything that's in the other world or anything that's like a weird dream or a vision is super great and i thought that it fed into the main themes of the game really well but i didn't like the super heroic stuff like Mm -hmm. where she's like going around killing people we'll we'll get to that (laughs) but this kind of stuff is great i totally love this kind of stuff yeah so 
so in this big house, she meets a woman called the Queen of Maggots, which uh, who gives her immortality, which is like the opposite of what she wanted. Uh-huh. And she kind of makes a Faustian deal with her and says that um, if she wants to live without this sorrow, she has to kill five parasites and do this sort of ritual. And then she'll be happy again. <laughs> or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's an interesting setup because like the main character doesn't care and she doesn't want to live. And this mm-hmm. weird kind of, yeah, this weird Faustian figure, like, kind of forces her into taking this weird bargain, but she really doesn't care and she's not happy or unhappy about it. Um, I like that aspect of this main character. And especially since the game kind of ends up being a lot about depression and mental illness, uh, I really like that the characterization in that way was really spot on. Also, our protagonist is a middle-aged woman, which you, like, never see in video games. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. You know, like, a woman in her 40s being the protagonist. So, that's interesting. I like that. And also that she's kind of an asshole. Like, I know you can pick your own dialogue options, but, like, she's not a super likable character, which is fine. I mean, she's depressed. She thinks the world has nothing for her, so it's Mm. understandable, but that's what she is. But I liked that she could be so sort of like rough around the edges, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Great point. She's got a real fuck you attitude. Yeah. I feel like the characterization is just really consistent and really good in that regard. She's basically snake Pliskin. (laughs) Depressed snake. Mm -hmm. That actually sounds like a real Kojima character. Yeah, totally. You take this bargain, and then the title sequence that we mentioned earlier happens with the whole running around with your arm cut off thing. (laughs) It turns into a Peter Jackson horror movie for 45 seconds. Yeah. Uh, It also introduces you to the, like, quick cuts in this game. Like, Mm. a lot of times you'll cut to something that's set in an other world or that's a dream, and it'll just quick cut back to reality. Uh, It's an interesting technique. Um, Once again, it feels a little bit janky like it almost feels like a bad edit but then it works uh (laughs) later in the game it can be a bit confusing some of the quick cuts come at really weird times but yeah uh totally i do feel like uh it's it's interesting and it's something the game does like right off the bat you know yeah so the second chapter after she makes this faustian deal susan wakes up in the hospital after her suicide attempt and this is a really cool section of the game, too. Um, she bef- befriends a nurse named Liz, um, who tells Susan that her daughter saved her, which is weird because Susan doesn't have a daughter. And Susan is also warned about this doctor, the psychiatric doctor at the hospital named Dr. X, you know, which is a pretty foreboding name. But yeah, then like. The game opens up and it lets you wander around the hospital ward and figure out more 90s PC adventure puzzle-based logic, you know? Yeah, and a a cool thing about this part, um, I think just kind of building off what Pam said earlier, it's not just that Susan is like a sort of unlikable or like gruff character. Uh, Everybody in this game is like gruff and unlikable. (laughs) And it's actually one of my favorite things about the game. Like 
everybody's mean. Everybody has an annoying voice. <laughs> like everybody Let's say that about Mitzi. <laughs> Mitzi is an angel. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, it's like you're wandering around the hospital and there's like a mean, annoying nurse, and then there's like your mean, junky like roommate. It's <laughs> like yeah. It's just I kind of love it. It's once again, it's charming in a weird way. It's like it's almost like Daria or something. <laughs> goth daria yeah i mean like the goth the 90s goth runs like so deep in this game and it i i say that as a compliment you know it is a six ad world (laughs) exactly um but yeah uh it also like you were saying it kind of introduces you to the the basic puzzles here they're very adventure gamey like they use logic, but not a logic that anybody would ever think to use in real life. Um, yeah, like you have to steam up a mirror to read the hidden word on it, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that. But I think the surreal aspect is also uh, one of the really cool and differentiating things about this game. Because like that puzzle, mm-hmm. for example, you steam up the mirror and you get part of a solution, but then you have to like go on a trip to the other world (laughs) you have to like you know Mm -hmm. sip some ayahuasca in a hospital to find the rest of the puzzle and like stab a giant heart that may or may not exist and shit like that is once again i think that's really cool that's what really drew me to this game yeah Mm -hmm. so susan tries to escape she's not able to escape she gets caught by this psychiatrist and later um you're forced to meet with the psychiatrist and you have a session with him and then he just fucking murders her <laughs> like out of nowhere. It turns out he's a serial killer. He does all these like um, grotesque and sort of like corny serial murders where he uh, recreates classic art with his victims corpses, hmm. which is very like Hannibal season one. Yeah, right? that's mm-hmm. straight out of MPD psycho. Yeah. So you see like girl with a pearl earring. Like with a corpse and like the Mona Lisa with the corpse. There, there's no like deep cut art history stuff here. It's all like base level, you know. <laughs> there's no burial of Count Orgaz with like a hundred corpses or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, you end up like making a makeshift mace and smashing Dr. X's head in. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he's so he's one of the parasites that the, you know the evil person wants you to go kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how this is where Susan really turned around. Like she wanted to die at the beginning of this, but then as she like sort of opens her, opens up to this doctor and then he just kills her and she's like, what you killed me. And then it's just like full on vengeance mode. Yeah. Like only yeah. I can kill me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You know, why die when yeah. you can kill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I think of all of the... So, okay, like, this is kind of what I'm talking about for the listeners who haven't played this game, is, like, half of the game is, like, these sort of scenarios, and half the game is just more, like, slice-of-life stuff, like when you're wandering around the hospital, for example. Yeah. And or, like, making cigarettes and coffee. Yeah. Uh, so you can chill on your porch. Yeah, make quote unquote making my favorite quote unquote <laughs> breakfast cigarettes and coffee, <laughs> which is which is true, which is sad because I quit smoking. But um, the point is, uh, I like this 
in in terms of like the the more like superhero revengey stuff i think this scenario is the best because it's like so weird and out of nowhere but then it also has some good like character building like pam brings up um i think this yeah. one's probably the best one uh the other ones i didn't love as much i mean even the minor characters are cool like uh your drunkie roommate that you mentioned um she's interesting um the mean nurse is interesting they're very memorable characters you know even though they're only have a little teeny bit of screen time yeah there's like a good nurse too that you befriend um and it kind of gets like weird and supernatural she's a good character i find some of the conversations in this were a little long for my tastes like i really like later on with susan and mitzi um and i like the more surreal things but like the conversation with the doctor and even the conversation with liz or the roommate like they all just went on a little bit too long i found oh yeah a hundred percent i wouldn't mind it so much if you could slam that button and fast forward through the text you can a little bit well, they have to finish their line of dialogue before you get to the next line. And, you know, I much prefer an RPG where you can just hit the button and skip the audio and just read through all of it. I was kind of able to, like, you can skip the audio. Fake news. <laughs> I was not able to. I don't know what magic button you were pressing. but I was able to skip it sometimes but hmm. not other times. And then also the ones you, t- you the dialogue options you've taken, like it doesn't go away or show you that you've already chosen that one. Right. Yeah. So, no, you're, you're hundred percent right, Pam. I think that like the two big problems here is the conversations go on way too fucking long, but the other one is that there isn't really a dialogue system. It's like you're in a conversation and you're given a bunch of choices. So, you can pick choices, but they don't go away when you pick them, and they also don't like affect the conversation. It's like mm. you're just going through and picking all the options until you've picked all of them and you're done. Mm-hmm. So it makes the conversations feel even longer than if they just went on their own, which is I almost feel like would have been better. It's like almost like the interactivity in the conversations is uh, not real. <laughs> it's just like a, yeah. a <laughs> sleight of hand. There's the occasional time where it matters. Um, have you ever played Life is Strange? No, no. but uh. people keep telling us to, and I, I want to. Because <laughs> at the end of, I think, chapter two, uh, someone who you go to school with is threatening to jump off a building, and the way that you save them is by remembering things that they've told you or invading their privacy and going through their things and knowing the correct thing to say to them. And this mm-hmm. kind of does that as well with Liz when she's apparently going to jump off the building, but it oh, yeah. ultimately doesn't matter if you remembered the things she told you or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on the topic of too much dialogue, I just want to put the brakes on this for a second because... All three of us loved Disco Elysium, and that game has eternal dialogue. But the difference is you could read it at your own pace. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would, would this game be better if you could just read the dialogue at your own pace? And I think the answer is yes. Well, I'm going to say it would be a little bit better. I think the interactivity problem would still be there. I think one thing mm. about Disco Elysium, and we said this in our episode on it, was that Um, I love the fact that it's a game where you're supposed to make choices and you're not supposed to see everything. Uh, Mm. My comparison was that in a a lot of quote-unquote normal video games, 
You're supposed to approach conversations like a looter, like you're trying to just get everything out of the conversation, (laughs) which I think sucks. And I thought Disco Elysium gamified conversations in a really cool way. This game is almost like the polar opposite of that, where you are just supposed to click every option until it's done. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be a little nicer if you could go faster, but it wouldn't make it, it would make it more convenient, it wouldn't make it better. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Interesting. And I think that Disco Elysium, the writing is sort of top-notch all the way through, whereas it's a little bit more uneven here. And I think, you know, it would obviously be much faster if I could just read it, but I still find uh, an editor could have taken a a swing at some of the chapters and some of the conversations. Oh, yeah. That's the other kind of big thing, is that, I mean, the writing in Disco Elysium is like crazy good and yeah this game it's it's rough you know it's really great at times and at other times you're like they wrote that and then they had someone record that <laughs> and they didn't have any crisis about that they just fucking did that man yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think that's about how it was made too so it was all written by Remigiusz Mikalski and he did all the writing and then he sent it off to like his publisher and his publisher got all the voice actors to do it Mm. so like there wasn't like rewrites happening while voice acting was happening or Mm. um, any sort of collaborative work like that it was just like this is the text and then now it's recorded and now we have a game (laughs) oh god yeah and it feels like that that gives me anxiety (laughs) thinking of being a creator (laughs) yeah i mean it feels like that there's times when the lines are just super clunky or like i said there's certain characters where it's like this person is literally just reading this like it's a phone book you know yeah well apparently that's how most games are voiced um like when our friend uh whitney interviewed jeff kramer francis york morgan of deadly premonition uh, he he just got his lines of dialogue with no context, and you just have to work with that. So it's kind of a fucking miracle that voice acting in any game is good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that I remember uh, hearing that in that interview, and I was like, man, that's fucking crazy. Like, yeah. but once again, I think that kind of gets to what Pam is saying that there's like you need to have like editors, and you need to have people coordinating this stuff so that it all comes together. Because, like, Deadly Premonition, I mean, the interactions between the characters are great, and they're super weird and surreal. And if you're going to record it in that way, then there have to be people, like, facilitating that, for sure. Moving on with the story. um, Chapter 3 is one of those more, like, slice-of-life narrative chapters. And I really like Chapter 3. Even though it's essentially just the main character walking around her apartment, doing things, and trying to chill out. Yeah. Like... You get two new meters on your UI. You know, one is like a stress meter. If it maxes out, she has a breakdown. And uh, the second meter, which is green, is like her chill meter. And if you do things right and let her chill, um, she'll be like super happy and get a good night's rest. Which, man, I wish I had that meter in real life. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, you sort of do. You can like take a melatonin and not look at a screen or something. <laughs> no, yeah, like yeah. I, I love chapter three. I think this is one of, if not my favorite parts of the game, um, mm. because so. And once again, we'll talk about this more later, I'm sure. But like, under all of the weird, like psychedelic stuff and the crazy action stuff, this is a game about depression. And it's a game about mental illness. And Mm -hmm. I think that this part of the game where the main character is just trying to have a good morning and do simple things to calm herself down, like it's really effective in portraying those themes and it ties the gameplay into the themes. Uh, It reminds me a lot of Lone Survivor, which is a game that I love because it does that, except that game Mm -hmm. does that the whole game and it's very simple. So it's able to achieve that. It also makes Susan feel like a real person. And it, this is where you actually start like giving a shit about the main character. I feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. cause yeah, you're going to make her that cheeseburger and make sure it's not burnt so she can have a good day. Yeah. (laughs) Pam, have you played lone survivor at all? Are you familiar with that game? Yeah, I played most of it. And then I got, stuck or i stopped playing for a little while and i forgot what i was doing again so i i haven't finished it that was actually that happened to me the first time i tried to play it too um yeah but yeah like i i love that game and it was funny like i played that game first but then when i replayed lone survivor for this show i was thinking about this part of this game and part Mm. of me almost wished that this was a bigger part of the game like just because it really reinforces the themes and makes you think about the character as a real person yeah i wish we could just like go down to the corner store and get some eggs or something right (laughs) (laughs) fuck (laughs) real life quarantine survival horror yeah dude the red meter slowly filling up while you read the fucking news (laughs) (laughs) too real too fucking real (laughs) so yeah moving on chapter four we uh we get back to the gore, right? Um, it starts with a scene, a non-interactive scene of a pest control guy getting out of his van and like dra- dragging a body out of it, um, which is, you know, foreshadowing to the next guy you have to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but Susan wakes up in the morning and answers the door, and she meets our second protagonist, Mitzi, um, the girl that said she was your daughter and that it saved your life. Apparently, she was uh, answering an ad for a tenant that Susan had put out and kind of forgot about and found Susan almost dead. Um, This chapter is cool, narrative heavy, and, you know, has a ton more of that slice of life. It's it's a little less puzzly, though, and it's more narrative driven. And it's 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 one of those scenes where your Xbox controller may turn off while you're playing Mm -hmm. because there's so little interactivity in the first few parts. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting because I think, so when you meet Mitzi, Mitzi's a really cool character, character, really good voice acting. She's super likable. Uh, And it's weird because even as the interactivity decreases, like my enjoyment of the game increased. And I think it's kind of like, to me, it was like just showing me what I think this game does really well, which is the sort of like atmospheric storytelling based experience 
um, where you're just sort of enjoying the dialogue and like enjoying these characters. And that's mm. kind of when I started to think like, oh man, I do sort of wish the whole game was just this because this is like very good. Yeah, and it, it does change back and forth from like chill to tense because the conversation between the two characters gets tense. You know, we find out that Mitzi has freaking terminal cancer because she takes her wig off and shows Susan. And it's, you know, pretty hard-hitting stuff. Yeah. Um, you also get a lecture on her not being emo. <laughs> She's not emo. She just likes rock and roll. Um, mm-hmm. This is clearly a game made before the emo revival. Emo's okay now. It's okay. It's totally fine. <laughs> you don't have to be like Mitzi and get really angry about people saying you're emo. Yeah, but then the tone changes completely because the scene switches uh, to a fucking hell world. Um, <laughs> Susan is like chained up in a fucking basement. Uh, it's horrifying. Yeah, this part is crazy. It's very like uh, like a Rob Zombie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, what's his movie? I forget his movie. Devil's Rejects. That's Devil's it. Rejects. <laughs> yeah. It's like super over the top, like hellbilly deluxe, fucking porn mm-hmm. bleach and buckets, smoking inside type shit. Yeah. I mean, if you live in a trailer park, it's probably your favorite horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, James. <laughs> um. But yeah, so you meet the next couple of parasites that you have to kill, and it's like super gnarly. Yeah, and it's like a couple, like a husband and wife, and uh, the husband is trying to like sexually assault you, but then the wife gets jealous and like pours bleach all over your face and makes you blind. Like, holy fucking shit. Like, I was just having coffee with my new friend. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the tonal whiplash I mentioned earlier. Yeah, serious tonal whiplash. Because also, like, all the aesthetics change at these parts. Like, the music gets really crazy. It's, like, mm-hmm. weird electronic rock music. And, like, the, everything's all bloody and gross. And it's, like, really strange. You also find out that these people have been eating Susan's cats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is probably her impetus for murdering the shit out of both of them. Yeah, man. Don't eat the cat lady's cats. <laughs> Luckily, um, Susan's favorite cat, Teacup, was also been um, abducted by these people. And Teacup saves your ass. Um, you, you control Teacup for a couple minutes, and she gets the key that lets you out of uh, captivity. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cute and cool. <laughs> More tonal weirdness, though. Like, from Mitzi, the ray of sunshine, to bleach in your eyes, to playing as a cat. Like, it, it is a lot in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Like, chapter four is a, a ride. Yeah. And the cat's kind of, like, animated like a South Park cat. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't, like, take it seriously at all. Yeah, totally. There's, also there's like, funny cat music, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's what I mean. Like there's real like slapstick comedy parts of this game, and once again, it just it just makes you go like, what the fuck? Here's some more whiplash to get out of this scene. While you're blind, you have to 
feel around on the floor for a gun and shoot yourself in the head. And that's how you escape the scene. Like, there's no other solution is to kill yourself. If you're going to be immortal, you may as well make use of that mechanic. I mean, you have to do that in Planescape Torment at least once to solve a puzzle. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Just makes you feel icky, though. But, you know, luckily after you shoot yourself in the head, you're back on the the balcony with Mitzi having a heart to heart. (laughs) Actually, um, this scene change is really funny because after you shoot yourself in the head, all you see on the screen is like, you are dead like dark souls or something <laughs> and then and then the camera like slowly zooms out to show that it's a, a poster on mitzi's wall yeah so i mean it does have a similar death mechanic to dark souls you know so <laughs> this game is much easier the cat lady is a dark souls of side scrolling pc point and click type adventure games you heard it here first wow total whiplash switches back to like bonding moments on the balcony then it switches back to the pest control house and it's like revenge time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Susan whips up a concoction to like suffocate this dude with gas and like blows the the wife away with a fucking shotgun to the face. I really liked how much of an ode to Maniac Mansion this was from the kitchen and the dining room being basically exactly the same. Um, I didn't really remember what to do in this place. So as soon as I got in there, I like immediately went to the doorbell to see if I could ring it, but there was no doorbell. You have to uh, distract nurse Edna in another way. But yeah, I, I really liked that. Well, it's funny because even the layout of the mansions is the same. Like yeah. there's the door on the left of the foyer that brings you to the dining room and beyond mm-hmm. that's the kitchen. And if you go too far, Nurse Edna is going to catch you. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. there, there's no hamster in the microwave. So I guess that's a plus. No. But they do eat all the animals they catch. So <laughs> true. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the the pest control guy is um, Salad Fingers, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's Basically, hilarious. same energy. No, it's it's David Firth. Are you serious? Yeah. Literal salad fingers? Yeah, yeah. literal salad fingers. <laughs> wow. That's fucking awesome. I didn't know that. Well, that's a little ray of sunshine in this darkness. Yeah. I'm glad they got him in here because this whole game feels very, very influenced by David Firth. Right? Like, if you watch his animations and, like, even especially his other animations with, like, more realistic human-looking people, like, hmm. it's got a lot in common with the cat lady. I guess. <laughs> just, just trust me on this one, okay? Um, yeah. No. So after after she takes out the creepy cat eating couple who live in Maniac Mansion, um, <laughs> Chapter Five begins. Uh, chapter Five is a weird one. Um, it kind of tries to combine the two halves of the story, like. Uh, Susan having to murder these parasites and the sort of mm. uh, friendship bonding between Susan and Mitzi. Um, yeah, this is like when your work life comes home, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're in quarantine, we're working from home, and the parasites start showing up at your front door. Yeah. I didn't like this chapter. Um, it's I did like the pancakes. <laughs> that was cute as fuck. Yeah, I just, I feel like there's so much weird messaging in this chapter that I couldn't, like, wrap Mm. my head around. Like, their conversations are really weird. They have this weird conversation about, like, sexuality that kind of goes in circles. 
Mitzi walks in on Susan taking a bath, and they have a they have a conversation about if she's a lesbian or not. And it gets like a teeny little bit homophobic, which is weird. Yeah, it does. Well, yeah. earlier, in, and this once again, this is something that I'm going to kind of go on about a little bit later. But earlier in the notes, James, you asked, is this game R slash men writing women? And like, yes. these, <laughs> these are definitely the moments where I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, dog. Little, little background. Men writing women is a subreddit of basically just screenshots of novels that men have written where women act like uncharacteristically or like stereotypes that men have of women. And it's funny because it's all like famous writers. It's like, you know, like a highlighted page from a Stephen King or Dean Koontz novel or something. And just taken out of context, they're just so like dumb, you know? Yeah. Well, we talked about it before on the show um, and on the Zero Brightness Plus show with like representation. Mm-hmm where representation is really hard for people who aren't of the like minority group that they are trying to write, you know? Yeah. Because there's this constant temptation to make that character's minority status, like whether they're a woman or they're like a person of color or they're a queer person or whatever. Like there's a temptation to make that the defining characteristic of them yeah like tokenization yeah everything they do revolves around or leads back causally to the fact that they are like a Mm. minority and it's interesting in this game because like the main character is well the main characters are both women the story is heavily tied into them being women it's capital i important that they're women um right so there is a reason to like talk about like issues and things like that. But then at the same time, it's like, it's definitely written by a dude and there's some like pretty shitty writing. Yeah. I have a note here in this chapter. Mitzi says she'll do the dishes because she's, she enjoys doing dishes because she's a good girl. <laughs> like who the fuck wrote that line? Yeah. Is this mystery science theater 3000? It's strange because it, it's, the writing's pretty strong, like especially the Mitzi Susan writing for uh, for most of the game. It's just in here; it gets a little weird. So, yeah, I don't know. and I mean the the thing that we always come back to with well, it's my viewpoint on representation is like you should just write characters as characters and not make it like about you know what what or or who they are like in terms of like a minority status or something. But mm-hmm. it's hard for this game, like I said, because it is integral to the plot and so it makes those times when it stumbles like really stick out it's also why yeah. sometimes i think like susan as a character once again something i'll talk about more later i don't want to totally get into it right now but like i don't know susan as a character is confusing because she is this like depressed and hopeless person um but then other times they're trying to write her as this like badass and I feel sure. like that's another thing where sometimes it almost feels like they're trying a little too hard to be like, oh, she's like a badass lady, you know? <laughs> and, I, and, and I think that maybe that's some of my viewpoint because I find mm. the depressed and hopeless side of her more relatable and that could totally be the case. Or sure. it could be my viewpoint because I know like a dude wrote it and I think it's like kind of clunky. But I also love Kill Bill, so... Maybe I just am completely full of shit and all my opinions are wrong, which I'm 100% willing to accept as well. 
one qualm I have at the beginning of this chapter is that Mitzi turns Susan onto Jeff Buckley. And like, come on, Susan's a middle-aged woman. She grew up in the 90s. She should know who the fuck Jeff Buckley is. <laughs> come on. Oh, man. You just shattered the illusion of the whole, whole damn game. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mitzi should have been like, Showing Susan uh, bright eyes, Interpol or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bright eyes. Bright eyes works too. Um, yeah. But yeah, like the rest of this chapter is them basically getting like home invaded by this weird monster man. This is weird because all of the other like parasite scenes, they could be not real. Like it could be some kind of thing going on in Susan's head but then all of a sudden it like brings it into reality like even in the last chapter she calls Mitzi at one point from the maniac mansion but like it's all just about her so you don't really know if it's really happening or not but then this just like brings it in and like grounds it and it's a little jarring I found yeah like also is she like attracting these parasites because she has this like new revenge power or like what's going on to bring all of these monsters into her life yeah well and that's actually a good point that um pam that you bring up and we talked about this a little bit in our silent hill 4 episode that came out recently but um like in that game some of the areas i really enjoyed specifically because i felt like they could be interpreted as not real or mm-hmm. they could be interpreted as not physically real. And I think the first time I played this game, I did have a little bit more of that interpretation like up to this point, but replaying it, I didn't because of like this chapter and everything that happens. I'm like, oh, this is all real. And I I do think that I would have been more into like these sort of parts of the game if they if there was more of a suggestion or like a backdoor written into the plot that like this could all be fantasy i mean that's kind of like a trope that exists that i think actually would have served the story pretty well in my opinion well there's a trope in horror films which is like kind of like baffling where there's always like a woman and you have to question whether she's insane or like the insane shit happening in her life is real yeah you know no i mean it's it's the is she crazy trope my life partner monica literally started an entire podcast almost purely out of rage at that particular trope (laughs) it's called demon daddies you can listen to it now on the platform of your choice uh no i mean it's interesting i think that this game makes that choice for that reason but okay like here's something occurred to me on this playthrough right like you guys have both seen the babadook right yeah yeah okay so like on this playthrough i was like man this game actually has a lot in common with the Babadook. And like Mm. in the Babadook, I think the strength of the story is that there is the suggestion that none of the stuff that's happening is physically real, but it's not because she's crazy or that she's a hysterical woman. It's basically that like the things that are happening to her are like so dark and heavy and fucked up that she's kind of like manifesting it in her own mind in this way and that's what it looks like to her or that's what it feels Mm. like to her and that's like the power of that movie is that like at the ending you're like oh I don't know if any of that was like physically tangibly real but the experience was very real like she's not quote unquote crazy like 
that was just how her and her son both like visualized this like depression and mania and abuse that was happening like in their house right yeah and like i felt like this game because it has so much in common thematic thematically like with the babadook i was like man i feel like it would have benefited from something like that like some kind of suggestion that this is maybe her working through her shit and not her Mm. literally like shooting an an evil nurse with a shotgun (laughs) (laughs) yeah well so the absurdity gets kind of like cranked to the max at this point because um Susan gets away from the killer long enough to play piano for him, which draws all the cats to the apartment. And then all the cats fucking murder this guy. Like that scene from Dario Argento's Inferno. Uh And that was dumb in that movie. And it's just as dumb in this game. (laughs) Uh, I had a laugh out loud moment at it. So, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of like that. I mean, I have two uh, cats and I think a lot about me dying in my apartment and them eating my body. So, well, they're not going to kill your assailant though. They're just going to eat your face while you're gone. Yeah. Well, I think this sort of eh, same, same wheelhouse. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Also in this chapter, you get a bunch of a uh, background story about uh, Susan's marriage and her child that died. I don't really know if revealing all this info does good for the game yeah besides like knowing that her husband's a piece of shit and their baby died yeah but you already kind of knew that anyways yeah it's like you just find out that they had like a eric clapton tears in heaven moment with their baby or whatever (laughs) (laughs) shit yeah i'm kind of with you and this part i don't know the writing and acting in this part was like not great yeah um yeah it's i don't know it's good to know that she sort of feels responsible for it happening but i don't know this whole scene was just a lot with the secret admirer and the the bombing that the husband was at and like it's it's all really a lot (laughs) yeah so she's getting calls from the secret admirer slash stalker and you know you can turn him down or be kind of coy with him uh, and then your husband shows up all of a sudden and he's like being an asshole because he was involved with this incident. But like the whole secret admirer thing, I was expecting it to come into like the bigger plot, but it never really does. And it ends up being sort of like a red herring to the story. And I don't know if there's like a point to it. Yeah, it it feels like they were like, OK, next plot beat, big background story reveal for season and then you mm. get it and it's kind of like mm, i don't know if that was it yeah yeah L- luckily the next chapter is probably my favorite chunk of the game yeah and it really feels more open ended more like a lucas arts adventure game you you you're finally getting to the reason why mitzi showed up in the first place is she's trying to find a internet troll so she can murder him yeah <laughs> um, But essentially, you have to investigate your entire apartment complex. It's eight apartments and a basement. And you basically just run around up and down these stairs to all these apartments, solving item-based puzzles, and just having a more open-ended exploration moment in this game. And I think it works great. Uh, The dialogue is really endearing. 
the characters are endearing. Um, you get a lot of um, like buddy buddy dialogue between Susan and Mitzi. They kind of like antagonize each other and annoy each other. And there are side characters like the dog lady, which is like hilarious because like one of the points is to piss off the dog lady. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, you you meet all the other tenants in the apartment. Some of them are real wacky characters and stuff. So, I mean, one of the things you have to do is like like scare the piss out of the guy that like antagonized you like a couple days earlier. Like who 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 doesn't want to do that to their like next door neighbor? You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, this was really relatable to me because, like I said, I'm sort of in like a low level war with everyone in my apartment building because they're all such fucking <laughs> assholes. And so I was just like playing this, like, yeah, yeah, get him. <laughs> uh, like, seriously, people are like, smoke, people are like, oh, we're under quarantine. I'm going to smoke cigarettes inside. Like, what? You can't smoke inside anywhere in the world anymore. What the fuck? Not true. <laughs> Japan does not fuck around with their fucking tobacco smoking. Jesus Christ. You can smoke inside in Japan? Yes. That's crazy. crazy. In bars? Yeah. That's they don't fuck nuts. Because even like yeah. going back to like the Arab world where it's like a lot of people still smoke and shit. Like people still go outside and smoke. Like. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah. that's a side note. Um, this part is <laughs> awesome. This part is great. It's like a bunch of little stories all wrapped into one it feels super relevant because like you said they're trying to hunt down and kill an internet troll (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which is incredible and feels more relevant than when i first played this game for sure um there's also like a lot of really cool little side stories i think this has probably all the scariest parts in the game in my opinion sure like there's a part where you just meet this weird guy who like kind of exists in the real world and the other world and he wants you to go talk to his like wife but she's this, yeah. just like weird scary corpse in a room full of mirrors like, well that's like the best red herring in the game like you meet another wacko serial killer that ends up not being the guy you're looking for yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah joe and ivy are well joe is the protagonist from downfall the first game which actually takes place t- slightly after the cat lady but that's uh yeah that's who that is and why he sort of exists in both places at once yeah interesting super crazy so okay pam here's another side note or question for you so i Mm -hmm. i know there's three games in this series i haven't played any of the other ones because i kind of heard they're not as good as this game what did you think Mm. of downfall i i thought it was pretty good it's very similar to this so downfall was made first as more of a typical point and click adventure and then after the success of the cat lady he remade it and he basically like rewrote it put it in the same sort of interface and gameplay style as the cat lady so that's the version that i played so it's very similar kind of stuff um a little less of the sort of real world things but i don't know i liked it it's about Joe and his wife who is very depressed and uh, him trying to save someone who doesn't really want to be saved and then going into this surreal other world where he's having to kill all of these people. Yeah, that sounds cool. I mean, I didn't know that this like this was connected to that because this is like maybe like one of my favorite parts in the game. Like It's just so weird and creepy. Well, there's one apartment you meet a uh, nice old man that can barely hear 
and it kind of like throws you off the course because you're like oh whatever it's an old man but it turns out like after you explore every single apartment you still haven't found this killer um so you kind of end up retiring back to your apartment for the night and you find a note on the door saying you know meet me at midnight at the old man's apartment and then that's kind of how chapter six ends and chapter seven starts chapter seven's the final chapter and it it basically all takes place in the old man's apartment apparently the eye of adam who is the uh troll that convinced Mitzi's boyfriend to kill himself uh, is a quadriplegic and he lives his life in seclusion in his bedroom and his only contact with the outside world is through the internet he can only control his eye so he has like some sort of interface that lets him you know interact with the internet with only his eye movements and he spends his days trying to convince people to fucking kill themselves yeah it's a it's a crazy dark storyline but once again it it feels really relevant just because like so much of what happens in the world today is now like directly tied to internet trolls Mm, like i don't know this shit used to feel more lightweight than it does now like even memes i don't know i've never been a big meme guy but they used to just seem like jokes and now especially i watched this movie called assassination nation that's like mm. super super good and everyone should watch this movie it's very like bizarre uh i don't even know how to describe it. it's like a thriller really really good movie assassination nation watch that shit but nice. it has a lot of points to make about like internet culture and trolls and memes and stuff and especially now during this pandemic i mean there are people who are just like getting their news from memes <laughs> and like <Yeah. laughs> so stuff like this is like oh yeah like i really vibe with anything that's like the bad guys in internet troll <laughs> like yeah <laughs> do you think the eye of adam would go like cough on the produce section <laughs> <laughs> no the eye of adam would just be like circulating memes like they're just trying to keep you locked in your house go out <laughs> yeah <laughs> have fun yeah cough on broccoli and shit dude don't let anyone tell you how to live basically chapter seven is like this setup. And how Susan and Mitzi deal with this guy. Mitzi wants to just fucking blow him away with a gun. You can convince her not to. He's also in a room filled with oxygen tanks. So, yeah, yeah, there are some implications to her blowing him away also. And it takes a lot of convincing to to get her to like think about that, which is like, come on, Mitzi. I was like, hey, fuck it, kill him. You're terminal. Like, fucking, you you do you, right? <laughs> oh my god, James, you fucking would. You asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not a great guy, right? Yeah. And, you know, what's the alternative? Let him fucking starve to death in this room without his dad, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, that is what, they. he dies either way, but yeah. So if Mitzi shoots this guy, it blows a hole in the apartment building. Mitzi dies, he dies. Cat Lady lives a life of solitude. Maybe she started a Facebook page. We don't know. But, you know, the good ending is that I guess you convince Mitzi not to kill the guy. And they live happily ever after. Somehow Mitzi's terminal cancer goes into uh, remission. And everything is happy. Her cancer can go away? Yeah. It's called the golden ending. Oh. Uh, 
look that up her cancer goes away well i will say that the good endings in this game there's a couple of there's like yeah the good ending and then like the super good ending Mm -hmm. they still are kind of like sad like it's still like an acknowledgement that sadness exists and that depression doesn't go away like you can just not be suicidal every day um which Mm -hmm. i feel like once again that was a big thing that made me think of the babadook and why i liked its story and message and ending like the ending of that movie is basically like depression's a a monster that you have to live with and it's like oh yeah that's real shit yeah um so I, i felt like yeah and i think throughout the game the writing about how it feels to be depressed and like just like the like that chapter three where you're just trying to do basic things to make yourself happy and it's really difficult I felt like that stuff was really well done and well written. Mm. And this whole revenge thing seems so out of character for Mitzi. You know, you see it more with Susan and it seems more characteristic for Susan. But once Mitzi wants to like blow this guy away, it just really seems out of character for her. Yeah. Uh, I think this, yeah. the positives of this game are more about the journey and less about the ending. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and I had two big questions, you know, that I kind of want to talk about with you guys about this game. Big picture. Big picture, right? Okay. So number one, and this is my thing that I just bring up over and over and over. It's the reason that all our Reddit posts get downvoted to shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming. I don't know. But okay. So like we talked about with Silent Hill 2. Well, we've talked about with every Silent Hill game and some other stuff we've covered. But it's like a concept of like does does a given game earn its graphic imagery? So Mm. in this game, like the themes and content, there's a ton of graphic imagery pertaining to like abuse of and violence against women. It repeatedly Mm. puts its characters in compromising situations. And my sort of like question is like, to what end, you know, and like, does it Mm. earn the right to do this? Like, is it told from a perspective that's interesting or relevant? Or is there like a point it's trying to make? through like bringing up that stuff um Mm. my gut kind of says no (laughs) and that a lot of this stuff feels really gratuitous i'm curious like pam i'm curious what you thought about this stuff i think some of it seems earned and some of it does seem a little gratuitous um i think it's some of it is needed just to give Susan that motivation to actually kill these parasites um, and do what the Queen of Maggots wants her to. When it gets into like mixing with the real world, I'm not as sure if a lot of that really works, but I don't know. When it's more of the supernatural situations where everything is very surreal and you're not sure if it's really happening, um, I do find it works. Like I'm fine for a little bit of violence and gratuity for um its own sake in a horror game so yeah yeah totally and i think like we had a good discussion earlier that i think is relevant talking about chapter five where it's just like this dude barges into their apartment and like wraps them in black plastic and like tries to hang mitzi and it just feels like yeah it's like uh i don't know if all that was like totally relevant well, it seems like a lot of the stuff kind of like elevates the game, right? The character bonding, the character building, all the the good narrative is like kicking it up a notch, a notch. But then like this kind of like gratuitous stuff happens and it like knocks it down a notch. Like in terms of like games as art being a ladder or like a stairway to heaven, 
Like, you have to take a couple steps down for each time uh, that happens, you know? Yeah. I don't think this game, like, gets ever gets to that point of, like, being towards, like, games as art or, like, transcending the medium of games. Right. Even though it, like, tries at points, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, and that also is a good segue to, like, kind of my other question or thing I was thinking about was, like, the supernatural versus the superheroic. Like, mm. I really like the supernatural elements of this game, um, like her going to the other world or her like having these crazy visions. Um, I think they tied in really well to the commentary on depression and mental illness, which is well done throughout. Like the game kind of takes this position, like I was saying, similar to the Babadook where it's like, if you have depression, if you have mental illness, it's not this like life ending thing, but it's something that you have to live with and you have to find your own ways to live with. Otherwise, like you literally will die and mm. there's a cool character arc for susan um like pam you're kind of mentioning it earlier and it's, it's especially present at the end of the game where she loses her invulnerability and so she goes from being like uh from killing herself to realizing that she doesn't want to die and she does it partially by like dying over and over like mm -hmm. that's a really cool concept and that's a really cool arc for a character um, and I think the supernatural elements play into that, but then like, I just didn't love the, like all the scenes of her going around, like killing people and stuff. Like it just felt like it was taking away from the part of the story that I personally liked. I don't know how you guys felt about that. I don't know. Shotgunning that one, uh, parasite was like really cathartic. I was like, fuck yeah, die. please." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I liked the revenge stuff or stabbing that guy or macing him depending on your weapon of choice while he's yeah. doing his weird creepy dance in front of his <laughs> next victim i don't know i thought that felt nice and i didn't feel like it was too strange since she does have this immortality so mm. i don't know i feel like not being able to die or having died and come back would sort of take away the fear that would usually be present in that kind of situation and just let her like really just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I totally can see that. I think for me, the big thing was that it just like, it made it feel less cohesive to me. And I also felt like most of the most, not all of the like cringy slash bad writing stuff was like in those parts. Yeah, you know, for sure. and that that was the thing that started to like get under my skin. Not all of it, though. Like I said, chapter five is like a, a pretty big low light. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> the crazy thing is that overall, I still did like enjoy this game. Mm -hmm. I think it's just so unique uh, that I don't even know what else to really compare it to. I mean, obviously, the dude has made other games and it's part of a series. So I guess that. But, like, you're not getting this mix of themes and aesthetics and ideas, like, in other games. Big picture, it's... This game is, like, super flawed. Like, it's, it's not perfect at all. But it has these, like, great endearing moments uh, bookended by, like, obtuse violence. Like, gratuitous violence. Um... I think you have to give it a little credit for being so ballsy. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like, uh, it, it, does it overstep its bounds every once in a while? Probably. <laughs> um, is it better for it? Probably not. Yeah. Um, it's ambitious. It's ambitious for yeah. sure. 
I'm going to give it two and a half cat ladies out of five. <laughs> Just middle of the road, right in the middle of the road. Uh, I still enjoyed it this time around. I was... I did get a little more impatient at some of the scenes, which I mentioned, like in chapter two, and even uh, in the second last chapter. I liked the openness of going through the apartment building, but like the conversations, especially with the woman with the baby, like that took a long time to mm-hmm. get to her, look at her laptop. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I really like it. I really like it when it goes to the surreal parts of it, and I just generally like the aesthetic of it and again the fact that it is does have a positive message overall um even though the subject matter is so dark and so focused on death and suicide so Mm. yeah i i like it i i agree it has some rough parts in terms of the writing maybe a little bit gratuitous at times but uh yeah i think it's worth playing for sure yeah how did you feel replaying it because I felt like I was trying to see if I made different choices or did different things roughly for when I remember doing the first time, if it would be a different experience. And I kind of felt like it was mostly the same. Like, it's not a hugely replayable game. Yeah, I think most of the choices, um, it's kind of an illusion. It doesn't change much other than the final chapter where you're doing things that can change things in the end. And even then, I didn't want to do anything differently. Like, you can not give Mitzi the gas mask, but, like, why would you not do that? Exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I-, I feel like that's one of the big things that struck me this time was, like, there aren't actual dialogue trees. They're more just, like, mm-hmm. dialogue piles of leaves. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do have to ri- make the right decisions throughout the game to get the best ending. Mm. But I am not itching to like go back and replay this game. I am super happy with watching the other endings on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, because that's a lot of dialogue you have to sit through to get through this game again. Yeah, for sure. And the ending is like pretty it's pretty light, you know. It's not like some yeah. whole segment that's different or something. It's just like a short cutscene and it's it's not a 30 minute final fantasy cutscene <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not a huge enticement well there you have it folks yeah cat lady the cat lady yeah check it out i my recommendation stands from earlier that like if you like all that stuff i listed like mm. if you're just like really dying for a weird 90s goth fever dream you gotta <laughs> you gotta yeah. jump into this game well thank you so much pam for joining us uh, yes, and for playing this game with us. Also, thanks for being a part of the community, the Zero Brightness oh, community. No problems. Good community. <laughs> Always throwing in some insight on the Discord. You never agree with me, which is fucking awesome. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think um, I became aware that you were a listener because I was talking shit about Alan Wake on some Facebook group, and you were there defending Alan Wake. So uh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, every time I watch one of your videos, you got the damn Alan Wake on your shelf right there. Yeah, <laughs> I usually like I usually move things around on the shelves, but I, that one's just has stayed put for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> N- next episode, you're going to see a little post-it on it saying like fuck you, James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy that we were still able to collaborate uh, despite that because I do feel like the Alan Wake episode is one of the most like vicious episodes we've ever done. <laughs> 
No, I think it's great. Uh, I, I like having dissenting opinions. <laughs> I think the episodes where Ollie and I disagree the most are probably the most interesting ones to listen to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I hate James because he hates everything I love. Um, that's what the Silent <laughs> That's what the Silent Hill 4 episode taught me. <laughs> Disaster Report 4. What a strange, thorny, frost-covered path we walk. Will we ever find our way out? I don't know. All I know is it's Game Club. Video games. Games. I can see the sun rising.